Portland, Oregon. This is the Jewish Review Podcast. I'm Rock and Roll. Coming up this episode, some might say the modern miracle of Hanukkah is made of potatoes and deep fried. I talk latkes with chef, food writer, culinary instructor, and now cookbook author Sonia Sanford. We discuss the secrets to a perfect potato pancake, other delicacies of the season, and how cooking connects her to her Jewish heritage. Grab a snack. This one is sure to work up an appetite. Stay with us. The Jewish Review podcast is brought to you by the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland, presenting Voices from Israel. This five-week webinar series will bring a diverse group of perspectives on the situation in Israel today to your screen each Wednesday morning through the end of December. Learn more and register now at jewishportland.org slash israelwebinars. Now, here's Sonia Sanford. Sonia Sanford, welcome to the Jewish Review Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So tell me about your Jewish journey. So my family immigrated from the former Soviet Union and specifically from Ukraine in the late 70s. And I was the firstborn American in our family. And I mention that because part of my journey is that when they were living in the Soviet Union, you know, they had to hide their Judaism. It wasn't free to practice being Jewish. And so I was always instilled with this sort of awareness of the freedom I had. Uh, the relationship to Judaism as sacred to our family and the privilege of being able to be Jewish. So I grew up going to Jewish day school, like elementary school, middle school, and we actually lived in Israel for a while in my childhood. That's sort of my background, but I would say my journey in Judaism is more complex. My parents split up when I was in middle school and my father became a Balchuva. He became very religious and my mother has always been sort of more spiritual leaning And so that left me with two very different representations of what it is to be Jewish. And I think like from that point on, I really start to explore it. And when I moved to Los Angeles as an adult, uh, after I graduated college, I think that's really where I sort of found the kind of Judaism that felt right to me. And what did that look like? I ended up joining a synagogue that doesn't belong to any sort of denomination. It was identified as a spiritual community where the prayer to me was very heartfelt. It was done in Hebrew, very musical, and the community was rooted in social justice and tikkun olam. And so I think for me, you know, I don't consider myself particularly religious, but I definitely consider myself very spiritual. And the rituals and practices of Judaism hold meaning. And I think sometimes when we do them, we find their meaning. So like, for instance, when I got married, we actually ended up having an Orthodox wedding, even though we're neither me nor my husband are Orthodox. And we did several rituals that you are unique to Orthodox weddings, and they were some of the most meaningful parts of the wedding. And so I guess I would just say my relationship with Judaism is one that honors rituals and traditions, but is also, you know, more, I guess you could say less conservative or less Orthodox. So when people think of Hanukkah, they immediately think of latkes. How did the latka come to be something akin to the official food of Hanukkah? 
There's different theories about this. There's actually uh, an article I wrote last year about oladi, oladushki, which are apple fritters, Slavic apple fritters, very common in Eastern Europe, Russia, Ukraine, Poland. And they look like they may have even been the precursor to the latka. In fact, the word like oladushki, latka is seen as a derivative of that word, which is interesting to me. I don't actually recall exactly who started popularizing potatoes specifically as the Hanukkah food, but I do think there was this culinary practice of making fritters essentially from apples and then later potatoes, probably because they became more common. I don't think potatoes are indigenous to that region historically. So when they started becoming more popular in that region, it was probably a very logical thing to fry and in a celebration of oil to have an affordable item of produce that you can make into something tasty, I think is a, is a sort of natural progression. But I am curious though why it took hold over all other foods, at least in terms of American Jewish culture, because certainly in other parts, parts of the diaspora, there are other Hanukkah customs. Well, we'll get into those in a moment, but I have to ask, what is the key to a good latka? That's a great question. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. So I do believe that latkes are personal. So some people might like it a slightly different way than I do, but my platonic ideal of a latka is something that is not too thick and not too thin, definitely not a hockey puck like you sometimes find in restaurants, uh, that is very crisp and golden brown on the outside and very soft and tender on the inside and fully cooked through, no sort of like graininess or stringiness. And I like them to be about the size of a palm. This might be the important, most important question of this entire interview. Applesauce or sour cream? Both. Both. All right. <laughs> Maximalism. <laughs> and not just applesauce or sour cream, but anything else you like to put. A chutney is good on a latke. Ketchup is good on a latke, just like a hash brown. A great like aioli could be good on a latke. So I think whatever you like on a fried potato could fit on a latke. Fabulous. Beyond the latke, what other kinds of dishes are popular at this time of year or are maybe an unconventional twist on the theme of fried food? Yeah. I get a little burnt out on fried food personally during Hanukkah. And there's only so many latkes I think we can eat as an adult. I think when I was younger, I could have eaten latkes every night of Hanukkah. But now I don't always want that. And so I'm always thinking about what are like oil celebratory foods that aren't necessarily deep fried. One thing I like to do every every Hanukkah is make an olive oil cake. You know, it's such a simple thing to do. It's a one bowl cake. There's so many recipes out there and it's not too heavy and not too sweet and it still celebrates oil. But there's also, you know, just things that are oil rich. So thinking about like, you know, my grandmother always made marinated roasted peppers and they, you know, and they were marinated in olive oil and vinegar. And even that is a celebration of oil. I also think it's a really good time to maybe buy a couple different oils, like good quality extra virgin olive oils. And you could set up a little tasting, you know, with different kinds of bread or things to dip in the oil. There's so many ways in the culinary world that you can celebrate the miracle of oil. And certainly in other cultures, just to name a few, like in Morocco, they're known for a very specific donut like a yeasted donut. Obviously, sufganiyot are very common too, but these are sort of lighter, uh, rounder. And in India, the Jewish community there has all manner of Hanukkah fritters, some made with coconut that are specific to this time of year. So there's such a range of Hanukkah dishes. So we've talked before about how a lot of your recipes are sort of Northwest-inspired twists on traditional Jewish foods. What would you see as a 
perhaps a Northwestern regional delicacy for Hanukkah. Mm. And maybe it's one of the delightful ideas you've already mentioned. Yeah. Well, I just think there's nothing more Northwest than smoked salmon and hot smoked salmon. So I think a latka actually topped with smoked salmon or doing a smoked salmon board alongside your latkes, like you kind of can't get more Northwestern than that. And if you want to take it up a notch, like you can make your own little sort of smoked salmon dip, like taking a hot smoked salmon, not a lox, getting cream cheese and a little sour cream, some chives, some dill, some lemon, and you mix that up into a little dip. And that's actually a beautiful topping for a latke. It's such a nice bite. And you mentioned specifically hot smoked salmon as as a deviation from the usual cold smoked lox that is so well known in Jewish cuisine. Yeah, this is a whole big topic, lox. It's fascinating. But obviously in the Pacific Northwest, we were really influenced by indigenous communities historically hot smoked fish as a means of preservation. So we have a predilection for hot smoked salmon here that isn't the same in other parts of the country. In New York, we're Nova-style lox, which is cold-smoked fish, which is that buttery, velvety, thin slice lox that's beautiful and delicious. It, that sort of technique was also brought from Eastern European immigrants in the way that they cured fish, which is also influenced by how the Scandinavians made gravlax. So there's a lot of like interplay, but basically the short of it, and I think your audience might find this interesting, is that... When Jewish immigrants started coming to New York, it coincided with a time when there was an incredible abundance of salmon from the West Coast and the start of the rail system, the uh, the trains in, across the country. And so salmon was being shipped to New York in big, giant barrels, and they were it was being preserved in salt. And basically it was arriving and the Jewish community was like, amazing salted fish. We know what this is about. Got, they got very excited. And so they started taking that fish, rinsing off the salt, slicing it very thin. That was what was known as belly locks, which is sort of the first version of locks. So again, there's sort of like differences though. You would think maybe we would have also partaken in that locks, but remember the fish was here. It wasn't traveling across the country. So I think, you know, the Northwest Jewish community has an affinity for hot smoked fish that sets it apart, actually, from other Jewish communities in the country. And to everybody listening to this podcast in a bagel shop somewhere in Brooklyn, you're welcome. <laughs> so what are, beyond just the food, what are some special memories for you of, of Hanukkah's past, either growing up or, or more recently? When you asked that question, immediately what came to mind was actually Hanukkah in 2020, um, surprisingly enough, because we couldn't really celebrate together that year. You know, it was one of the, it was the first Hanukkah where we couldn't gather with family. And I have a friend who lives on Salvi Island. And so she invited us all to the beach to celebrate Hanukkah. And it was a bunch of different families and we lit menorahs outside in the night on the beach and sang songs. And it was such a touching and beautiful way to be connected to the water and the air and the land here and celebrating the sort of bringing in light in the darkest time of the year in a very dark year. So, of course, I want to take some time to talk about your new book, Braids, Recipes from My Pacific Northwest Jewish Kitchen. We've talked before about how you always wanted to write a cookbook. What made you decide that, all right, this is the time, I'm ready, let's do this? <laughs> well, actually, I started writing the book at the end of 2020 and finished the writing the book early 2022, and then it takes time for design and completion and publishing. 
But I think that it just felt after the closing of my restaurant, I had a restaurant here in town called Beetroot Market in Delhi. There were so many recipes that I was making in the restaurant that were connecting with people here in Portland. And so many of them were inspired by my grandmother, but also by living here in this place, growing up in the Pacific Northwest. And the dream of the deli was to connect to people through these dishes, to connect through these stories that the dishes hold. And so when the deli closed, it felt like it was time to maybe see how I could continue that intention in a different way. And the book was born from that. So it's really, it, it's really the deli brought to life and on a much smaller scale, of course, because it's not in a physical space, but it, it's in people's homes now. Yeah. Or will be soon. Yes. A lot of the recipes are things that we served in the deli. And certainly it's about more than just my experience in the deli. There, Like I said, there's recipes of my grandmother's, there's recipes that came after I closed the deli, but it does commemorate that place. And those recipes live on and the few people who have started to receive their early copies. It's been really heartwarming to hear how they how it made them feel connected to the deli. Several people from out of state who never got the chance to go said they had the feeling of like, oh, it was like I was there. And that's really exciting. Yeah. I know this is a tough question, but do you have a favorite recipe from the book and what is it? <laughs> my challah recipe is really my favorite from the book because challah is really just the just nothing makes me happier than baking a challah. There's just something so special about the collection of very simple ingredients, you know, flour, water, yeast, eggs, very little goes into the dough, right? And then the way that it puffs up, that it rises, that then you braid it, then this thing emerges from the oven and it's all shiny and golden and gorgeous. I just love the ritual of baking challah. We started this conversation talking about like my Judaism, right? And the rituals that connect me to my Judaism. And the ritual of baking and braiding challah is so central to me. It's like every week I stop and connect to my lineage and connect to something bigger than me. And I'm making something in an effort to also connect because then the challah shows up on my table and Either, either it's with my family or with friends and we break bread and then there's a new story that emerges from that loaf. And so I guess that's my favorite recipe in general, like in the canon of Jewish food, but also this recipe I spent many, many years developing, you know, and so I've never published it before, as I've told you before. And then it's my platonic ideal of challah. It's the kind of challah I want to eat. So I'm really excited to have other people experience it. It, it sounds like that that process of making challah for you is almost like a cheat code. You get to start Shabbat a little early mm. just by the, the feelings that come up when you make that. Yeah, there's that anticipation of Shabbat that comes from making the dough. There's that knowing that soon we're going to step into a different rhythm of the week. Even if you're not Shomer Shabbos, you know, in our home we do honor Shabbat in different ways. And I think it's just so valuable, especially in sort of the chaos of right now, in the chaos of these times, this wisdom that's been imparted to us that's so central to Judaism, that which is to take time to rest, and to do it weekly. And in that resting, you're honoring something greater than yourself. And it makes sense. It, it makes sense to me that that challah would have a certain pride of place because we, we associate different Jewish foods with different Jewish holidays. And challah is associated with the most important Jewish holiday of all, Shabbat. That's right. Yeah. So what drew you to working in the culinary industry? <laughs> That's a big question. So 
I have always loved cooking and food, and I come from a family of cooks. Every single person in my family knows how to cook and is actually a pretty great cook. I'm so lucky in that way. You know, we're so influenced by both our environments and our own interests. And for me, it was very much a combination of both. Like, I was obsessed with cooking shows from age five. I would just watch nothing but PBS and then the Food Network. And I would just be so happy to sit in my grandmother's kitchen or my mom's kitchen and just watch them cook, or even my dad cook too. So, that was where it started. But because I'm the child of immigrants, it was very honed into me that I should become a doctor or a lawyer. And, and I'm sure many other Jewish friends have that experience. And so the culinary arts were never considered like a, a profession. It was just something you did at home. So it took a while for me to sort of find that. But in my mid-20s, my interest in food just kept growing. And through a series of sort of unexpected events, uh, I had been working in film and television. And I met a woman who wrote cookbooks and was a cooking show producer. And I was so interested in her work. And she let me come shadow her and work for her. And I fell in love with the process of making cooking shows and food media. And that led to becoming a personal chef, which led to having a more extended career in food. What memories do you have of perhaps that first point of intersection between your love of cooking and your Jewish heritage, your background? Mm. I don't think that they can be separated, right? <laughs> like, I think especially because so much of my cooking came from my family, so much of my family's cooking was connected to where they come from, from Ukraine. So much of so many of those dishes are classic Ashkenazi Jewish dishes, and so many of them are made for specific holidays. So again, when I was just cooking what I knew, it was familiar to me. It inherently connected me to my Jewish roots. And then, you know, of course, I've explored in other cuisines. And when I was a personal chef, my clients would always want different things like Thai food or Mexican food or whatever food. And that was your job is to make what your clients would like. But as I started sort of finding my own voice, my own culinary voice, I realized the stories I wanted to tell were my family's foods and the foods that had meaning to me. And those were all, you know, Jewish and Soviet Jewish. Many of those in your book, I presume. Many of those in my book. I think for folks listening, one of the important things to know about your book is that it is self-published. It is. What was a part of the process of self-publishing that you enjoyed that maybe you didn't expect to? Oh, I enjoyed a lot of self-publishing and I chose it from the onset. Like I could have certainly pitched the book or written a proposal. I knew I wanted to self-publish this book because I just wanted to tell these stories this way. There's not a lot of other books about Pacific Northwest Jewish food. There certainly isn't a lot that tells my particular story. And sometimes that can make things actually more difficult to make commercial, right? And I just wanted to be honest to this book. Like I have ideas for other cookbooks in the future, but this one felt like a personal project that I just needed to have that creative control over. And I've been really like surprised by the process. It took twists and turns I didn't expect. And one of the most rewarding parts has been that I found this incredible printer, a company that prints my book and helps will help me ship it and distribute it. And it's run by a really wonderful Jewish man who I really admire, who's a children's book author who sort of had the same vision, vision as me, which is he wanted to create high quality visual books and do it in a way that was sustainable and possible for a self-publisher. And so 
that has been such a rewarding part of this process was being introduced to his company and working with them and having the book finally printed and seeing how rich the colors are and how the photography has translated onto the page. It's been really fun. Sonia Sanford, thank you so much for joining us on the Jewish Review Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This is such a pleasure. That'll do it for this episode of the Jewish Review Podcast. A special Hanukkah thank you to Sonia Sanford for sharing her love of Jewish cuisine. You can pre-order Raids, Recipes from My Pacific Northwest Jewish Kitchen online at soniasanford.com slash book. There's a link in the episode description. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice to help others find our show. And click subscribe to get our latest episode every two weeks. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out by email to editor at jewishportland.org. The Jewish Review Podcast is a production of the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland. Special thanks to Daniel Berger. Our theme music is by Isaac Joel. I'm Rockney Roll. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, happy Hanukkah and all the best. Jewish Review.